Well, I hope that you have a study guide in your hand, and if you do, you'll see we're talking about this morning more and better praying. There's a lot of information to be given in this message. Many of the verses we'll have on the overhead projector uh, for you on the screen. And I'm giving the information. I'm trusting the Lord to give the motivation because we want to be a praying church. We'll take a look at an introduction and then the elements of prayer, hindrances to effective prayer, reasons people will not pray, and then the last section, praying in the Spirit. Now, as we think about these things this morning, you will quickly see that you have heard all of this before, uh, many times in many forms. But we are looking at the basics in everything that's done in the military and athletics and farming. You have to get down to the basics. And if you don't do the basics correctly, then you won't achieve the outcome that you would hope to accomplish. So today we're focusing on prayer, and we begin with a short verse, Colossians 4.2, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. It's our privilege today to welcome the Lee family from Tennessee. They are visiting with us this weekend. Many of you know the Lees. They came back when we were opening the church, the sanctuary, and they built the rail fence out in front. The Lees like to do things like that. They like to help people who uh, can't help themselves in getting everything done. So we are very grateful for that. Back in 1999, I was desperately praying that we might sell our place in Alabama so that we could move to Texas. We felt the Lord had called us to come here and minister. So I was praying diligently that God would help us with that process. But the only problem was every time somebody came to look at the house, Yvonne and Lucy would go out behind the big oak tree and start crying and praying that they wouldn't buy it. And they didn't buy it, not even when we had a contract on the place. Uh, the thing defaulted and they didn't buy the house. No one bought the house, although many people came to look at the house. So I was wondering what to do. And one day I was out working on a drainage system in the two-story house. And Tom Lee and his son Jordan drove up to help me out with that project. And as we were down on our hands and knees working, I began thinking about uh, possibility of what a great thing it would be if the Lees would come out and live in that house and be hosts of a retreat facility where city folks could come out to the farm and be taught by the Lees all about God's creation and just take a day of rest or a week and find out what's going on out in the country. So I presented that uh, challenge to Tom in coming days and Tom and Sherry and all their sons and daughters accepted the challenge, and thus began an 11-year ministry to many people who came to the Shoal Creek Valley uh, Retreat Facility. What a great blessing that was for us to work with the Lees. And the Lord is still working in their lives and in our lives after the tornado. And I've asked them if they would share some of the things that God has been doing in their lives after our covered dish luncheon. So I trust that you will be here for that because 
It's amazing the way God answers prayer. All of us could give testimony to that. But when you see how the pieces of the puzzle are fitting together, it's just incredible what God is doing. And we give Him the praise and the glory. Uh, We'll think about some things maybe He did back in Alabama and what He continues to do in the work of His kingdom in the hills of Tennessee. Now, prayer is the language of the kingdom. It won't always be the language of the kingdom, but it is the language of the kingdom now. One day, there won't be any more prayer. There won't be any more preaching. There won't be any more witnessing. There won't be any more faith that you have to exercise because when Christ returns, your faith will have become sight. But right now, prayer is the language of the kingdom. So we want to be well-skilled in speaking that language so that we can communicate in the way that God has taught us to in the Scripture. Now, we're thinking this morning about a conflict that we're living in now. When that war is over, everything will be changed. But right now, there is a spiritual war going on And we are part of it. There's a conflict between good and evil. There is a conflict between the abundant life that God taught us to live, that he came to provide through Christ, and the life of mediocrity that most people in the world live. Now, in a shooting war, it's all about power, air power, naval power, ballistic missile firepower. It's all about power. And in a spiritual war, it's about spirit power. If you attend First Light, you probably heard John Piper on a DVD remind us that you cannot know what prayer is unless you know that life is war. It is a spiritual war. And prayer is one of our best weapons with which to fight that battle. But we need the power. Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, that you may know what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in heavenly places. Now, in this spiritual warfare, you have to have a clear channel for the power. And that's where prayer comes in. We want to have a clear channel between ourselves and the throne of glory. That's the reason we want to come before His throne with clean hands and a pure heart. And it's kind of like when you're working every day and then you're eating lunch. You've got to stop and wash your hands. And then when you come in for dinner in the evening, you've got to stop and wash your hands again. And we want to be about that process of confessing our sin keeping short accounts with Him. So if you've come this morning and you need power, here's the place to get it. Spirit power coming through prayer. When you think of it, we usually do more of everything else than pray, don't we? Hurry and worry and scheming and all kinds of things other than pray. But God says, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you.
That's one reason I think today the church is running lean on power. There's not a lot of prayer, effective prayer. But we don't want that to be true of the Lord's body here. We want to be powerful in the work as channels of His blessing and what He has called us to do. We want to be a means for His glory. Now, the enemy of our souls is a military strategist. We've talked about that before. There's a lot about military warfare in the Bible. And he knows that if he can cut off the supply line, then we will be ineffective in the war. So he likes to cut off prayer because, in a sense, that is our supply line. Let's begin with the elements of prayer. This is something that you know, but we need reminders. In the Bible, we're given many promises about what God will do. Then we're given a lot of facts in Scripture about what He already has done or what He is doing now. And as we review His mighty works and His marvelous acts that He has done, that strengthens our faith. That's one reason it's good to keep a thanksgiving list where every Thanksgiving or ever so often you go back over your list and you see what all God is doing in your life and you praise Him for it. That is a part of prayer as well. So the facts that we see in the Bible call for praise and thanksgiving. Promises demand claiming so that we can turn the promises into more mighty acts and wondrous works. That's what it's all about in the kingdom. We want to see God do mighty things. And as we claim those promises, He may use us, He may use someone else, but He promises to use our prayer to accomplish the work that He wants us to do. Now, here is a picture of a little sailing vessel. And I would suggest to you that this little boat represents the prayer life of many Christians. I hope that it doesn't represent your prayer life. But a lot of times we just have one sail on the little vessel of prayer. And that sail is the petition sail. And that's what I call grocery list praying. Lord, I need two of these, a half dozen of these, and all you can give me of that over there. And we're just kind of going down the want list of things that we want the Lord to do. Well, this little vessel is colorful, but it doesn't carry much of a payload. Now, I don't want to criticize anybody who's praying because if you're praying, even if you're praying the want list, that is a good thing. Stay with it because I think if you pray long enough and if you read the Scripture enough, you're going to begin to get the Word there of what God wants and you kind of get in the habit of maybe praying what I want, but then you branch out a little bit from there. This would be a better possibility. Here's a five-sail schooner. And this boat, running under a good breeze, will slice through the surf at about 10 knots, carrying a load of cargo and personnel. So this boat is going to be the kind of thing that represents what we want in prayer. We want to be at full sail. We want to be hauling the goods. We want everybody on board the boat of prayer so that we can be effective in fighting these battles in which God has called us to be engaged. Now, here would be our sails coming up here. First would be confession. We all know what that is. 
confess your sins one to another. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise. The Scripture talks a lot about praise. In fact, it says God inhabits the praise of His people. I'm not certain I know everything that that means, but it sounds pretty good to me. I want God to be inhabiting what I am seeking to do. And then thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for what He's done for us. Praise for who He is in terms of His attributes and His character. Then intercession for other people. And finally, our favorite uh, petition and supplication where we are asking God for things that we need. And there's nothing wrong with that. We just want to be sure we get the other four sails flying in the process. Other people need our prayer. When you're saved, you're saved into a body of Christ. That's the reason it's important to people for people to affiliate with a local church, the local body. Because there will be people in that body praying for you. And you need to be praying for other people. And I hear people say sometimes, I don't need the church. I don't, we don't do that sort of thing. Well, the church needs you if you are a true believer. We need all of you. We need you to be praying for us even as we pray for you. Praying for everybody. So we'll come now to the hindrances to effective prayer. What would hinder God's people in the church from developing an effective prayer life, a powerful prayer life? Well, we've mentioned the first already, and that would be unconfessed sin in my life. Unconfessed sin is like a rock slide coming down onto a mountain pass that blocks the trail up to the palace of the king. You've got to get through to the palace of the king, but first you've got to move the rocks so that you can take your cart or whatever you're riding up the trail and make it into the glory of the throne room, even as we read about in Psalm 24. So I've got to get rid of that iniquity, and the reason is if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Now, we said many times it's not like the Lord has gone deaf or he's just turned off the loudspeaker. It's that He's not doing business with us. If I regard iniquity in my heart, I may have some blind spots. I'm asking Him to show me those things. I'm asking others to show me those things. Don't get upset if somebody shares a blind spot with you. But things that I know about, things that are right here, if I'm not dealing with that, that's going to hamper my prayer life. In another place in Isaiah 59 Behold, the Lord's ear is not heavy, the Lord will not, that the Lord will not hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. In other words, He's not uh, doing things that you want Him to do in the way you want Him to do them unless you get your heart right with Him. Now, He can do whatever He wants to do. And sometimes... He just answers prayer and then things are just flowing along and I'm still in my sin, kind of like King David when he had that blind spot after his relationship with Bathsheba. But then comes the time where God reveals the problem to us. And if you're seeing some problem revealed in your life, that's the time to confess it. That's the time to turn from it. Now, some have suggested that in the New Testament, nothing can hinder prayer. Well, then I would wonder if my relationship with God is not damaged by sin, 
Why is he always telling us in the New Testament to repent and to confess and to turn from those things? It's a simple matter, but when I come to God in prayer, I want to have my heart right with him. Now, if I abide in God's word, it's like a mirror so that I can see if there's anything that would not be pleasing to him. And we see that in James 1, if anybody listens to the word but doesn't do what he says, he's like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. But then he goes away and he forgets what he looks like. Well, if I'm looking in the mirror all the time, I'm not going to be forgetting what I look like as my image is reflected through the teachings of the Scripture. The man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. These are simple things that we could remember, wrong motives. Now, in James, we're told, you don't have because you don't pray. That'd be the first thing to do, start praying. But when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Gehazi had a wrong motive when he came running after Naaman and asked him for a talent of silver and two suits of new clothes. Ananias and Sapphira had a wrong motive when they gave a certain sum to the church, representing that as the entire price of the property they had sold, but it was not. Others have had wrong motives. Simon the sorcerer had a wrong motive when he asked the apostles if he could purchase the power of the Holy Spirit with money. You see examples of wrong motives all throughout the Scripture. And normally, I don't think that I have wrong motives. But sometimes I want all these good things to happen that I can see would be good. At least they look good to me. But instead, sometimes God brings difficult things, challenging things. How could this be any good? Because God, in His sovereign rule, likes to bring good out of bad, out of affliction, out of persecution, out of difficulty, out of a crucifixion of an innocent man. He can bring good. He does bring good. And we want to emulate Him in doing that very same thing. But it's going to take prayer. If you pray long enough, one thing is sure. God will purify your motives. I believe that. Now, Hudson Taylor said this, I used to ask God for help. Then I asked Him if I might help Him. I ended up asking Him to do His work through me. Now, that's the right motive, that we would ask God to do His work through us. Oh, I don't like uh, this one that's coming here. Uh, poor family relationships. Now, in 1 Peter 3, we have some teaching for wives and for husbands. That's the husbands who really have the responsibility here, but it's a reminder to wives that they should be submissive to their husbands, that if any of them do not believe the word, they might be one without words, amazing by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. But now men, seven verses down in the passage, we get right down to business on prayer. And here is what it says. Husbands, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way, 
giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Is she weaker physically? Seen in those Russian lady basketball players? Is she weaker mentally? I don't think so. She has placed herself in a weaker position, in the subordinate position of being submissive to her husband. And hopefully her husband has got the vision and he's leading the family in the right way, that straight and narrow way, because he is the one responsible. And if he doesn't treat his wife with dignity and respect, living with her in an understanding way, hey guys, that's going to take prayer right there. Living with her in an understanding way. If he doesn't do those things, his prayer will be hindered. What about this one? A lack of gratitude. Hey, we want to be a grateful church. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Now, wait a minute. Somebody said, you're telling me I've got to be thankful before I even get the stuff I ask for? Uh, usually it's the other way around. I might be thankful if I get everything I had on my want list, but be thankful ahead of time you're telling me that. No, I'm not telling you that. God is telling you that. We want to have a grateful spirit for whatever God is doing. Paul said, I've learned how to be a base, and I've learned how to abound. So I may be going through some challenging times. It's an opportunity for God to work. I may be on the top of the world. That's an opportunity to be sure you don't lose sight of where you came from or who got you there in the first place. Well, what do you think will pull the plug on gratitude quicker than anything else? Comparison. Do you know what that is? Comparing ourselves to others. We are even told in the Scripture, 2 Corinthians 10, 12, that we are not wise if we compare ourselves among ourselves. Because if I focus on what somebody else has that I don't have, then I forget to be grateful for what I do have. And what I do have is much. Everybody here this morning is breathing and seeing, and most everybody had breakfast, and we look forward to some other things to come. We have many things for which to be grateful. Then a couple of other verses, reminders on that. Colossians 3.15, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. And then Colossians 3.17, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Well, here's one, giving up too soon. Giving up too soon. Here is a man whose friend came to him at midnight. I won't read the passage. You know it well. He didn't have anything to eat. He went to his neighbor's house, started knocking on the door. His neighbor was asleep. Called out of the upstairs bedroom window, I suppose. Hey, don't bother me. We've gone to bed in here. But what did the guy do? He just kept on knocking until finally, because of his importunity, his persistence, the neighbor came down and gave him all he wanted if he can just get the guy calm down and back over to his house and take care of whatever he was asking for there. Then the uh, other passage, uh, here's a widow lady and every day she's coming down to the judge's office and she is just wearing him out. There's some wrongdoing against her and 
So she's asking the judge and he's saying, I don't care anything about God. I don't regard men, but this woman is wearing me out. She is annoying me, so I will give her what she wants. And then there's the analogy, and shall not God avenge his elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear along with them. I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. A little boy was studying the answers to his catechism questions. And so the question was asked, what is the chief end of man? He said, the chief end of man is to glorify God and annoy him forever. So that's exactly a pretty good question. Because God is not annoyed when we come to Him in prayer. And when we come to Him over and over to Him, it's enjoyment, not annoyment. Because He sees, if we could coin that word, He sees that we realize our inadequacy and our dependence upon Him. We're speaking to Him in the language of the kingdom, and He likes that. So don't worry. I've heard people say, well, you pray about it. And then you pray about it again after that. That shows you don't have faith that he was going to answer the first time. That's not the biblical uh, routine of things here. It's not the biblical model that we have. Well, I, I could probably pray a little better and I wouldn't be giving up if I understood how prayer works. Can you tell me how it works? Well, I don't know exactly how it works. But I don't know exactly how those light bulbs work. I'm told that every second passing through the filament of one of those bulbs, there, is a, there are a million trillion electrons passing through that filament every second. Somebody looking up there to see if they're still passing through. Yep, they're still passing through. How does that happen? I don't know. I don't understand how that happens. But I don't make the measure of my understanding the limit of what I believe and what I practice. Because every day I turn on the light and the light comes on and serves its purpose. And I can't tell you how it does it, but prayer is the same way. Every day I pray and God does what He promises He will do. Not always at the time I ask Him to do it. So how does prayer work as we study the Bible? We see more about what's there and we understand more of God's purposes and then we'll probably never know exactly how it works. Reasons people will not pray. We'll hit these pretty quickly because you'll recognize some of them. Not desperate enough. A desperate man will do desperate deeds and sometimes we really need to get on our knees and cry out to him. Not desperate enough yet. Yvonne and I were down on Galveston Beach in 1976. We didn't go down there for fun and sun. Yvonne was going to a medical doctor in Houston, a friend of her family's, and she was experiencing some difficulties as a young bride. And we'd been to the doctor, and then we'd been to another doctor, and the doctor said, well, I'm, we can give you some pills and this and that, and, but we don't know uh, what's going on exactly. And they suggested a few things, and, but it kept going on. And it was a challenge. Now, I grew up thinking if you have some problem, you go to the doctor. And, of course, you pray. But if the doctor can't help you, then uh, that's not a good sign. Of course, you're left to prayer. But I just was thinking, as a young husband, the doctors are not doing anything for me. So that night that we spent the night down in Galveston, I was out on the beach. And I just started praying, walking up and down the beach at night. And I prayed all night long that night the first of several times 
because I needed to get through to the Lord. Now, what do you do? Just repeat the same things over and over and over again? No, I was praying everything I had memorized, everything I could remember in the Scripture, everything that um, I could remember from what we had read during that day. You pray according to what God lays on your heart. But you want to have something there that He can use. Now, number two, oh, excuse me, here's the um, passage here. Was Christ ever, ever desperate? Now, He wasn't desperate in the sense that He had no hope. But have you ever been sweating blood over something in the Garden of Gethsemane? I'd say that's pretty tough times. But it says in the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud crying and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death. And He was heard because of His reverence. Although He was a son, He learned obedience through what He suffered. Number two has two parts, and the first part is too busy. Martha of Martha and Mary. You remember that girl? She was a pretty good cook, serving up the groceries. But she was distracted by her many preparations. And she asked Jesus, What about this girl sitting here? Why don't you tell her to come help out in the kitchen? And Jesus said, Now, wait a minute. Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things, but Mary has chosen the good part and it won't be taken away from her. Well, if you're too busy, you're probably too tired as well. And I can read back in my journal when I was a young man first married, there were days and weeks and months when I was just too tired. And I would get myself up at 3.30 in the morning to pray because there wasn't time in the rest of the day. Well, I'm not recommending that you do it that way. But I just seemed to be tired. I just couldn't keep up with things. But then a time came where we turned the corner and God's grace was given us. And I moved from being like the disciples all the time to being a little different. Here's Jesus, Matthew 26, the night before His crucifixion, the most important event in the world at that time. And so He asked them to watch and pray one hour. But in verse 40, he found them sleeping. Then in verse 43, he found them sleeping again as he came back the second time. Then in verse 45, he said, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? We don't want to be asleep spiritually. I want everybody to get plenty of sleep physically. That's a good thing. You'll be healthier. But we don't want to be asleep spiritually. Then too doubtful. Too doubtful. Jesus answered and said, If you have faith and do not doubt, you shall not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, it shall happen. Now, if anybody doesn't believe that can happen, see me after the service, and I'll tell you about when I saw it happen, where a mountain was cast over somewhere else, not into the sea at this point because the sea was a couple hundred miles away, but it was taken from where it was and put over somewhere else. Uh, amazingly. Here's D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and here's what he says. Indeed, I can put it like this. Finally, the ultimate cause of all spiritual depression is unbelief. For if it were not for unbelief, even the devil could do nothing. It's because we listen to the devil instead of listening to God that we go down before him and fall before his attack. Well, I can tell you that the core sin of all the list is unbelief. 
We don't really believe what God said in the Word, or we don't really believe His promise that He'll provide for us. So instead, we're anxious and we worry and we're just too doubtful. By the way, what will help to cure our doubt? The Word of truth in the Scripture. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the Word. Then number three, I don't know how. The disciples came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, when you pray, do it like this. Now, everybody go through this prayer with me. Just join right in. Here we go. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Anybody still doesn't know how to pray? Now look, it's kind of like swimming. To learn how to swim, you've got to get in the water. And it may be hard to do when you first get in there. You may think you're going to drown. But that's how you learn to swim. Hopefully you've got somebody giving you instruction. And that's good in prayer too. But here's the way we pray. And this is how God told us to do it. If you don't know what to say, get into the Scripture. Pray through the fruit of the Spirit. Pray through the Lord's Prayer. Pray through the Ten Commandments, if you like. Pray through 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love, that God would give you that kind of love. Pray through the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. There are many things in the Scripture. The book of Psalms. You can emulate the prayers of the psalmist. Well, here's number four. Don't care. Just don't care to pray. Don't care what happens. Oh, I go to church. I got my fire insurance, but I don't care to invest time in prayer. Here's the rich man who tore down his barns and built bigger ones. And then he told himself, I've got all the goods laid up. I will eat, drink, and be merry. He just didn't care about anybody else, about spiritual things. And God called him a fool because that night his soul was required of him. Now, I know we care because I hear people praying for other people. But we want to care more and more and more. And the way to do that is to invest more time with Christ because He is a very caring person. Then the next one is, uh, the last one, looking for an easier way. I can tell you that prayer is hard work. Jesus was teaching one day, and he said, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Now we know that the flesh profits nothing, and the Spirit gives life. So I think he's talking about being truly and intimately, spiritually connected with him. But some guys heard it, and they said, Ooh, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? Who can hear it? And some of them turned and went the other direction. Well, why did they go the other direction? We learned about that this morning. Maybe it was temporary, but maybe they just didn't have the Holy Spirit in their heart. Maybe they just didn't get the effectual call. Maybe they weren't really followers, true disciples of Christ. Some people will be offended by what the Scripture says. There's no easy way. Christ said, strive to enter through the narrow gate. 
Now, quickly, we want to answer the question in this uh, last section, what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? I don't think you have this on your study guide. We didn't have room for that. But we want to say just a brief word about it. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? We see that in Scripture, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit in Ephesians 6.18 and then in Jude verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. There are two things we need to consider. The Spirit of the person who's doing the praying and the Spirit of God who activates us to pray and enables us to pray what is consistent with God's will. You remember Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. And then we're told that we don't know how to pray, but the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He searches hearts to know what is the mind of the Spirit. because And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit knows the will of God. He is the third person of the Trinity. So He can help us to pray according to the will of God. Not just according to my own motive, but according to the will of God. There's nothing mystical about this. Praying in the Spirit means that the Holy Spirit connects with my spirit and stirs my heart to pray according to His will. He gives me the power to respond the way I should, to love my enemies, the power to give me th- for me to give thanks in all things, whatever is coming my way, the power to deny myself and take up my cross and follow Him, the power to rejoice evermore and pray without ceasing. It's like I'm a lump of clay, but the Holy Spirit comes in that lump of clay and activates it, and all of a sudden that clay is a living person spiritually who is able to do the will of the Father. We're told in Ephesians 5.18, Do not be drunk with wine where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. That means that I just place myself under Christ's control. When I become a Christian, I get God's Spirit, but I want to be filled with His Spirit every day. I want Him to have all of me as well as myself having all of Him. So we're commanded to pray to God and none other. After this manner pray, Our Father, which are in heaven, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. We're told to pray through Christ and in His name. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the reason we pray, in Jesus' name. And then, number three, we must pray according to the will of God. This is the confidence that we have in Him. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And we know if He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. That's the reason it's important for the Holy Spirit to be in control so that we can ask according to the will of God. We can discern His will. We can't know it perfectly sometimes, but we can know the direction. We must confess our sin before we approach God in prayer. We have already read this one in Psalm 24. We've got to have clean hands and a pure heart. We don't want to lift up our soul 
deceitfully or in vanity. Then the New Testament, draw nigh to God. He'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. And then the verse that comes right before that says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And the verse right after that says, Humble yourself, therefore, in the sight of the Lord. We have to pray with understanding. 1 Corinthians, I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Now, even in the New Testament, where there was some speaking in tongues that people didn't readily understand, there was an interpretation of that. So we want to be sure we pray with understanding. If I'm praying in the Spirit, that doesn't mean I'm speaking in tongues. That, that means that the Spirit is in control, and I'm praying according to the will of God's Spirit. There is a, and a connection there, an interaction there. And someone might be speaking in tongues, prayer language, Uh, That would be fine. If it's in a group, there has to be someone to interpret. We must pray in faith, but let him ask in faith, nothing doubting, nothing wavering, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed with the wind. And finally, we must pray fervently, because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. To pray in this way is to pray In the Spirit, I believe, from what the Scripture says. So let me ask, are you praying in the Spirit these days? Are you connected with God's Spirit? Are you seeing power in your prayer? Do you have all the sails uh, catching the wind? That's what we want. Of course, to be able to pray in the Spirit, you've got to have the Spirit. So if there's someone here today who's never committed your life to Christ to serve Him with a whole heart, with a willing mind. This would be the time to do it. Get your sails filled with His Spirit. There may be some rough times ahead. There will probably be some storms out on the sea, and we've got to have full Spirit power to get that vessel and the people in it where it needs to go. So as I pray for us, I would encourage you that if you don't know Christ, if you've never committed your life to Him, asking Him to take control of your life, This will be the time to do it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in the Bible, you've told us everything we need to know to live this life you've called us to live. And we thank you, Lord, that as we do engage in prayer and worship in spirit and in truth, not only does our message go through to you, We can expect that uh, we are in right relationship with you and that you're going to do what's best for us. We know you're going to do what's best for us anyway. But Lord, when times of reproof, when times of admonishment come to us, we pray that we might get back on track quickly by confessing our wrongdoing, our wrong attitudes, wrong motives, and that we might be effective in our praying. I pray that if there's someone here today who does not know you truly in his or her heart, that this would be the day of salvation. You tell us that today is the day of salvation. I would pray that for those of us who do do know you, we might see a new wind of the Spirit blowing in our sails 
And I pray, Lord, that as a church, we might be effective in prayer. Not so that we could be proud of ourselves, not so that we could accomplish our own ends, but so that we might be pleasing and honoring to you, so that we might be a part of accomplishing your purposes here on this earth. Lord, as we pray this morning, uh, this afternoon, as our men lead us in prayer, we pray that your spirit might be moving among us to remind us of the things about which we need to pray. Thank you for this great privilege that you have given us, and we ask you to help us to exercise it. In Jesus' name, amen.